Welcome to the Pork and Feed the Birds, where I record gratefully on unceded Indigenous lands. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and to acknowledge, as I do at the start of every episode, that it always was and it always will be Aboriginal land, something very important to my politics as an anti-fascist and an activist in Australia. Let's get on with it. The interminable role of the South Pacific. You want to go to Bunnings. My steed dangles off the bowsprit. He bears a continental load in his big cream belly. I want to fill you with my progeny. You want to line up for chops. I grow tired of the rusting princess. I want to disembark. Come, colony of bats. Grip your pangolin king like 10,000 cranes. Fly him over Port Phillip Bay. Alight upon the meatworks. Fill the casuals with my children. As I record this episode, Victoria is about to go into stage four lockdowns, which really sucks for a lot of my fellow Victorians. Six weeks is a very long time. We certainly understand the circumstances in which it needs to occur. But as I've said online numerous times, we do wonder if perhaps we're not targeting the heart of the issue, which consistently has seemed to be that people in unstable casual jobs who have to go to those jobs, like, for example, meatworks, are then spreading the virus in those situations that they cannot avoid. It remains to be seen at the time that I record this as to whether Victoria will finally deal with that root issue and close some of those uh, uh, sectors rather than declaring them essential and make arrangements for the people in those unstable casual jobs to be protected because there doesn't seem many protections for people in Meatworks roles. I, I can tell you that much. However, um, we know regardless of the circumstances, going to be six weeks of lockdown and everyone there in Victoria is understandably very worried about coronavirus. You know, they have now reached the point where community transmission is so likely that it is, of course, a real genuine worry going outside and going to the shops, not that you're going to be allowed to do so very frequently for the next six weeks. It's it's in that circumstance or in those terms that I thought it would be a good idea to speak to my mate, Sophia. Sophia's a um, friend of mine and she's a healthcare worker who contracted coronavirus, COVID-19. So we have a yarn about what it's like and the fucking shocking treatment she received in Victorian government hotel quarantine. You won't believe it. Some of you will have seen some articles written about, um, there was one in The Age not too long ago in which there was a couple of interviews with other healthcare workers, so you may have seen that. But I thought, Sophia has a pretty interesting story to tell about bureaucratic ineptitude. 
which is pretty stunning. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the all staff emails she ended up sending to an entire state government department just to get them to fucking do something. And why it is that she's currently got her face stuck in a big tin of Nescafe Blend 43. True story. Smell training works with like neuroplasticity while your nerves are healing. And COVID, as you know, destroyed my sinuses and my sense of smell. So I've just been taking some time every day to smell some really strong smells like coffee and Vegemite and like watermelon oil that I have just like (laughs) (laughs) which which sounds silly but I've used it for like four years so I know what it smells like and you just like take a big huff and you try really hard to remember what it smells like even if you can't smell it at all so okay so there's the smelling of something and then there's the associate reassociating that with remembering yeah yeah so it's it's reminding your brain and like of how to make those connections. So I'm really like just standing there going, come on, you know what coffee smells like. We've done this before. <laughs> you remember coffee. Come on. <laughs> come on. Come it's on. a Nescafe Blend 43. Yeah. Come on. Like since childhood. Come on. Taste and the smell thing is terrifying. It is, and it's fucking miserable. Like it was mm. so, it's such like a bleak thought to think about not getting your sense of smell back because it is so strongly linked with memory. And I was like, God, I'm going to get out of here and not, like, be able to smell all the good smells. Which <laughs> sounds so yeah. scary. But I love smelling Yeah, there's a, there's a few things with COVID that are quite demoralising in and yeah. of themselves. I suppose that's one of them. And the breathing thing. How did you go with the breathing thing? Because I remember you telling me, I remember reading you say that at one point you couldn't lie down. Oh, Is that right? Yeah, so I had to sleep um, propped up in bed with like a little pillow ramp. Otherwise, my nose would just block up and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then I also oh. had a couple of days where I felt really breathless. Like I just, I just felt like all the air was sort of stale and I couldn't get a really good breath in. And that was really strange. So I was getting really puffed out by just like moving around or even talking, like just having to be like <gasps> at the end of a sentence. Yeah. And that was really odd. And that's, that's the kind of thing that makes you feel sort of unsafe. That's what led to me um, calling the ambulance because I mentioned it to my mum, who's a GP, and then a couple of hours mm. later she called me and she's like, could you call the ambulance? It sounds like you might be hypoxic which is like low levels of oxygen in your blood. And then the yeah. thing with COVID where um, it's silent hypoxia. So you can have no really apparent symptoms of being hypoxic, that, like someone would typically present with, you know, that are like clockable. This is one of the really scary parts. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. yeah. The people that don't even, they go into the hospital because they feel a bit ill, but then they, the doctors find out that by all rights they should not even be walking yeah so there's been cases of people coming like going to ed feeling a bit unwell or even like for unrelated reasons and then they um check their pulse oximeter and they have really low blood oxygen levels and it's kind of an indicator for really poor outcomes as well so mum was pretty freaked out fucking oh so you're sitting there you've got covid and so you can't even try you know you don't even know and neither does your mum obviously know if you can really even trust your own body what what it's telling you like you feel a bit breathless but yeah maybe it's been creeping up on me and i haven't noticed luckily i was fine i did have my pulse rate my heart rate was 
about double its normal rate for the six or seven hours I was under observation. My heart rate, resting heart rate is normally like 54. And I was sitting in the like dingy little ED cubicle, bored and cold and not really moving. And my heart rate's still going from like between 100 to 110. It got to 120 at one point. So your body goes under a lot of stress without yeah. really realizing. So I was like, of course yeah. I feel like shit. My heart's been doing double time for how, who knows how many days. But then you're high risk of stroke and stuff like that. I think that's why you're seeing people stroke out and go into comas and get clotting and stuff because your heart's under so much stress. And I wouldn't have thought so, you know, I wouldn't have thought that that was the state I was in necessarily. You didn't feel like that. Like you felt exhausted, of course, and, and such. But yeah. you didn't... Like I could hear my heartbeat in my ears and I was like, mm, that's probably not great. But, you know, what can you do? You're, like, locked in this little room. You can't access. I couldn't really. It was hard for me to access any care. There wasn't a nurse on site or anything, although I was told there's meant to be, you know, nurses on site in these quarantine hotels. So I was like, mm, I hope I'm okay. <laughs> and you just kind of go with it, you know? So the impression I'm getting here at this stage is that you're not recommending coronavirus to other people. No, I... I... I can't, you know, I know it's a hot take. I would recommend trying not to get it. Sophia, right. hi. Thank you so much for Hello. coming on to my little podcast. I really Thank appreciate it. Just interrupting here. Sophia is a healthcare worker. We're not going to identify where she works or in what capacity she works, both because, you know, we're not in the business of doxing people. There's always a small uh, percentage of, of our listeners on this podcast, being as it's anti-fascists in nature who are creeps and tend to obsess over people. So we're not going to do that to Sophia. Plus, it's not relevant. Suffice for you to know that she is a healthcare worker and works in that sector. That, I suppose, is one factor that um, increases someone's likelihood for getting coronavirus. But that, I don't believe, is how you contracted the coronavirus. Is no, that right? I don't think so. You know, obviously, you can never really know for sure, but it's mm. quite likely that I got it from a member of my household who yep. got sick a bit before me and tested positive a bit before me. We're just at the point where community transmission's inevitable, and this is like a ridiculously contagious little illness you know all you need is one good huff at Coles and you're done I did hear a doctor saying the other day that they thought that you know breathing in someone else's corona air more than touching surfaces or what have you was still and always going to be the most likely way for you to contract it. oh yeah absolutely yeah touch transmission is you know a related factor but you know that's why they're advising to wear masks because it's just about not breathing it on other people and trying really hard not to breathe it in so so you got coronavirus mm -hmm. you know you're not the first person to have gotten then recovered from coronavirus on this podcast on episode 10 Ooh. i spoke to uh debbie kilroy she was a very very early like one of australia's earliest cases of coronavirus and, and she might have actually received uh, contracted it from Peter Dutton, patient zero. <laughs> um, so, and so don't feel too special is what I'm saying. No, I won't. But, yeah. <laughs> don't get a big head. Or, no, no, no. Look, I'm, I'm really appreciative. And, I, look, the reason that we're talking here is, is, is in part, of course, about your experience with coronavirus because everyone has a million questions and yet there's a lot of people out there who are still, you know, can't actually honestly say that they've known someone personally who's gone through it. And so 
I think that you can go online and you can read these testimonies from people who have been through it, but I still think any opportunity to hear about it is is, is amazing. So of course I've got twenty questions about that, but of course yeah. you've also had you've also had this um this experience that definitely I really be- believe oh. it warrants people hearing about about what you went through with the state's yeah. mismanagement so. of you let's go through a bit of a, a timeline as it were so we've covered that mm-hmm. you know you you you've got housemates and you you may or may not have contracted it from a housemate but certainly when you found out that you were a close contact did you find that out from them i found it out from um him he got the yep. phone call early wednesday morning wednesday the 8th and, you know, immediately told me and we were like, all right, fuck, what do we do? So I contacted my work. I went to get tested. Um, I think it would be really valuable for everybody to know. So on that Wednesday, I had two swabs taken about four hours apart. Yes. The first one had one inconclusive result that they couldn't replicate. Then like every subsequent test was negative, which is why I went to have a second swab inconclusive Um, what so the inconclusive result we test the you can test for covid using um real-time pcr and it just checks for like viral rna output and it looks at two genes i think the n gene and the e gene output and from memory that first inconclusive result was because i was E gene positive, but N gene negative. Earlier, you said PCR. What does that mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so the PCR, I'm just Googling it so I don't say the wrong thing. That's <laughs> good. We all learn together. Maybe I should just Google the fucking things, you know? So it's um, not real. Yeah, so it's RT PCR, real time reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction. And so that amplifies RNA transcription and amplifies DNA targets. And like, it basically, we, you get a little sample of it and you put it in some soup. Then yep. you put the soup in a machine that sort of kicks the RNA and DNA replication process into overdrive and amplifies it exponentially. I think it goes through 35 amplification cycles. Okay. And from then you can take the time, you can find the tiniest, tiniest bit of covid rna yeah you will not be detectable in that first sample mm-hmm. and it'll you know amplify that presence until it's at a detectable level okay. and i believe the test that we run it looks for two different gene outputs so n gene and the e gene yeah and i don't have a message about it so it's just a phone call from someone so i don't remember exactly which one it was but the inconclusive result was because i was one one gene output was detected and the other wasn't, which is quite unusual. Okay, okay. Well, that that would have had you shook that you may well oh, have had yeah. it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not positive, but not negative. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Great news. Great yeah. news. <laughs> and then, so they, they couldn't replicate that. So all of the other tests they ran from that sample were negative. Yeah. Then I went and had another one, another swab taken, and that was all negative again. They ran that on a few different instruments. And then I got sick the next day and definitely had COVID. So I think people should be aware that if, you, if you're if you exposed or you think you might be exposed, um, a, a negative test early on doesn't, you know, demonstrably doesn't mean you're in the clear. So when you found out that you got the close contact thing, were mm-hmm. you immediately offered or told, uh, I don't know which, about going into 
quarantine, hotel quarantine. Is it? Yeah. Is it, so my work was actually really supportive about it. They sorted mm-hmm. everything out for me um, because if you are living in a household with someone who's got coronavirus, yes, you have to quarantine not only for their entire like period of illness, but then for fourteen days after that. Which, so, you know, that could have been 28 days, over a month, really, with how long it took my housemate to recover. And so I spoke to my work and they were like, let's, you know, let's get you out of this infectious environment. Yes. Hopefully you won't get it. And then, you know, you can return to normal life and work a lot sooner if you're in this quarantine program. And, and that's something that I think in particular uh, healthcare workers uh, yeah. are encouraged or supported by their employers to go into hotel quarantine. Yeah, so it's specifically a uh, program for healthcare workers. Mm, okay, yeah. The coronavirus emergency accommodation scheme sure. or hotels for heroes. And yeah, so there's a couple of different ways you can get in. You could have been in my situation, which is you're negative or ostensibly negative and you can't go home because someone is, you know, unwell in your house. Mm. You can go into quarantine if you're positive. And you obviously don't want to bring it back to the community or spread it into your home. And then there is a third one for, so my, my housemate got released from quarantine after I did. Mm -hmm. And so the plan was going to be that if he had remained unwell and not cleared by DHS, I would have gone into yet another hotel, which is full of people who are, COVID negative, definitely COVID negative, not isolating, but can't go home. Yep. And so it's good. And, you know, that was, it was a really good experience through work for me in that they took care of it. I didn't feel like, oh God, what do I do? How do I access this? That was all done for me. That's amazing. So work left in and they were really prompt about it. And you're yeah, fucking worried enough about oh, coronavirus. Yeah, no, I'm like losing my mind and trying to be like cool and professional talking to my manager like, oh, guess what? This has happened and, you know, trying to be fine about it. And he's like, that's really scary. Are you okay? Yeah. And so that, that was good as well. Um, you had two or three tests before finding out that you were in fact positive, although you were getting, you, you fell sick before you yeah, realised so that you really had it high. The second day that I was, so I went in on the 8th and then yep. on the evening of the 9th, I was on the, I had a phone call and I remember being like, hmm, I think I have a bit of a cough. I sure hope that goes away by the morning. And then Friday yeah. I was feeling, feeling rotten. And then the next hurdle for me, aside from, you know, chilling out, trying not to die of coronavirus, was getting a, a test organised which was really difficult and I ended up having to leave isolation myself and I went to get a swab at the Alfred Hospital. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So you have, you you wake up on Friday, mm-hmm. you feel like you've been hit by a French truck. You're like, okay, obviously. Obviously I have it. Yeah, like let's not, let's not, you know, fuck around. This is, this is what's happened because I had all of the, sort of classic non-common corona symptoms you know I was in a lot of pain I had sort of a cyclical fever and chills feeling where I get like you know the cold waves yeah couldn't get to a comfortable temperature oh. and my nose was starting to block up so I knew I knew and I had a bit of a cough and I felt like I was losing my voice I didn't have a sore throat so much as like something was wrong yeah in my throat so, so I knew I knew I had it and then um Sorry, you go. 
so you 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 start to contact because because you're in a hotel for people you know this is really organized by the government with that hotel and it's specifically for people um in quarantine or suffering from coronavirus so you would expect that okay i'm really really sick i think it's coronavirus let's get some testing going to fit confirm it i was in what's called a, a green hotel which is a hotel for people who are either you know pending a test or covid negative but still in quarantine and so yeah from that friday on i tried to organize just a test so I was I I presumed and I think I was told that you know if you get sick when you're in there the hotel will organize testing unfortunately that didn't seem to be the hotel hadn't been equipped by the government to do that you know they didn't have any resources for it they didn't um I got the impression from speaking with some of the staff that they just weren't really well supported you know they didn't even have like a little a4 word document from DHHS saying if this happens this is what you can do, you know, so that's stressful for the people in there. And it's also stressful for the staff. Like I I was so surprised and disappointed to see that they're not, they don't even have that, which seems so basic to me. Mm. Um, And so I called the COVID hotline and spoke to them and there was a bit of a back and forth where I was like, I need a test. And they said, talk to the hotel. And I said, no, I have talked to the hotel. I'm trying to tell you that like they don't have that. And I know that they're meant to, but the reality is that they don't have these resources for testing. Can you please send someone to test me? My work also tried to help out, which I, which was really nice. They yeah. tried to they could send someone, but ultimately it was just too far out. Um, and so I was, you know, spent a couple of days then just trying to confirm that someone would come out and swab me because I <laughs> didn't want to leave isolation while I was still feeling quite Oh, like I was, you know, squirting coronavirus all over the place. Like I didn't want to leave while I was still coughing or anything like that because I would have felt so aware of the fact that I'm going to, you know. So you're three days at this point? Like where are we up to, Sunday, Monday? Until the 16th. And then I finally just got a hunt. I felt comfortable leaving. Like I felt like I could leave and not keel over. I was confident that I wasn't going to get arrested and go to, you know, super jail. And and also it had become apparent that it was not going to happen. I was not going to get a test no matter what. And you... Hey, hang on, sorry. I'm, I'm looking at the calendar right now because I'm just trying to get this timeline figured yeah, okay. out here. So from Friday till the next Thursday, you, you couldn't... Is that right? You, you yeah, couldn't get anyone to help you? <laughs> I, yeah, I had people who wanted to help me and I had, you know, hmm. a lovely woman who's like, I'm going to escalate it and it's going to get organised and and it just didn't happen and it just so clearly wasn't going to happen. I wanted to do the right thing, be a good citizen, you know, not just assume and recover, you know, be, you know, get it confirmed and see if there's anything extra I had to do. So I went and got it done and then I got a call that evening evening of the 16th to let me know that I did indeed have coronavirus yes which by this stage was really just a formality I suppose in terms of moving places yeah, before because you'd known you'd had it for days you know yeah but you know wanted to be counted wanted to yeah. be in the statistics for sure 
But you had to... Here's the thing. You know, I spent a lot of my time looking at, say, the anti-lockdown movement and such, and, you know, all these people that say that, you know, this is popular argument that they... They um they inflate the numbers, but every motivation I've seen, whether it comes to the bureaucratic madness that you're talking about, or the actual you know states like the US where you got Trump saying to hospitals, "Ah, oh, you know we're not going to count your numbers because we don't believe the way that you're collating them." You know, every impulse I've seen from states, whether it be you know actual deliberate ones like the one I just talked about, or the bureaucracy just leading mm-hmm. to people falling through the cracks. Leads me to believe that the numbers are probably lower than they actually, you know. Yeah, report. I think definitely. I, I I think definitely we'd be looking at underreporting rather than you know overly inflated positive cases. Yeah. So you've dragged yourself out because you knew you needed to, even though you knew it was as dangerous. You hadn't been seen by any doctors or what have you from, say, Friday, Saturday through, you know, of your several days of coronavirus up until you, you really had to get out on the 16th. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Sophia, you're just sitting in a room coronaring without anyone fucking assisting <laughs> you. What the fuck? It was a bit tough, Yeah. But, you know, got through it. It was just, it was so surprising um, the amount of work that I and other people I've heard anecdotally have had to put in to just try and do the right thing, you know, just try and get tested, just try and get contacted by DHHS, just try and get out. Um, I think this brings us back to what I was saying earlier, where from the evening of the 16th, I didn't hear from DHHS until the 21st of July. So there was no monitoring texts, no contact, no nothing. Hang I on. So get... you go back to the hotel. You've on the, After you get the test, it's 9 of the 16th. So by the 17th, you realise that you've got, you know, you've, you've, you've had it confirmed that you've got corona. And you're still having corona. You're still sick as a dog, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well I was better by that point because it had been a week, but I definitely didn't feel amazing. It's got a really uh, – my experience with it was that it really progresses. So I went from feeling very much like I had, you know, like a cold to just feeling yep. like shit, you know, feeling breathless, feeling rotten, feeling really fatigued, having no sense of smell. So feeling feeling not as unwell. I never had a day worse than that um, first Friday okay. where I really just felt like, oh, God, what am I going to do? You know, here we go. This is what it's like. This yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You've got, you, you know, and I suppose it can't be overstated that even though it's a terrible virus, you've also got the panic. You've got the fact that there's no one actually assisting you. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. stressful. It was really, yeah. A more emotionally stressful experience than yeah. I would have expected, and then it needed to be. I think. Yeah, of course, because if you had have had some guidance in the hotel that you'd been put in, if you had have had some assistance guidance, it might have been a hell of a lot easier, and you wouldn't have had to, for example, go out into the community to get a test because they weren't fucking doing anything about it. That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. So, but from the seventeenth, and this is for another. Um, five days, so you're sort of slowly recovering. But let's not forget that some people find that they go back to being very ill after a week, and you, I suppose you've read all that, so you, you, yeah. you're hanging under that cloud even for these next five days after the, 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 
the to, into the second week because you don't know if you're about to get worse again or you know what's yeah. going to happen to you. Hey? It was definitely a dip. I feel like I probably experienced one. You know, I went from feeling pretty okay to and sort of like I was going to get better to and then kind of plateaued and then felt a bit worse for a few days. Okay, yeah. But you know what? Bugger you because we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to contact you. 17th, 18th, 19th, 20, 21st, this is you convalescing in this thing. Now, were you sort of... um, were you uh, calling people during this time, calling DHHS going, you know, what the fuck's going on? Where are you? Um, yeah, let me bring up my my call history. So the first few days that I was unwell, so that weekend when I was sick, I didn't call much because I was just like, oh, God, I've got to focus on getting through this. And then um, going back to, let's see, so... I called them on the 19th, so two and a bit days, two full days after getting my positive uh, result. I called them because I received a call from a nurse wanting to do my my clearance swab, which is, you know, would would have been great if I had remained negative, but that's not a process that you get if you're a positive person. They don't actually clear you via a swab anymore. They do it by cessation of symptoms and time and improvements. Yeah. So I got a call from her and I was like, okay, something has like fallen through. They clearly, you know, someone doesn't know that I'm (laughs) positive who needs Mm. to. And that's when I called them and I was told by the worker I spoke with that my status hadn't been updated. She said it hadn't been like flagged as positive. I'm not 100% sure what happened there because then someone I spoke to a few days later said that they had received the result. I guess it, I, I can, you know, it would just be speculation to try and work out what had or hadn't happened there. But, you know, clearly the right box in the little system hadn't been ticked because they were still processing me as someone, you know, in, in quarantine. I'll tell you what I want when I'm dying of a, a hellish lung virus. I want people to tell me that my status hasn't been updated in the system. Oh, yeah. You know, that's yeah. really like, that's like, that's what you want to hear, isn't it? You know, it gets, yeah. it's good for morale, hey. Well, fuck yeah. So I, I called them and I was like, oh, you know, I think that this has happened. Can you update it? And also, you know, now I haven't been contacted. I was trying to make them aware that it's now, you know, two, three days out, no one's done my contact tracing, no one's monitoring my symptoms. So that affects like, that can really affect your timeline for getting out. Um, And she was like, okay, yeah, someone will call you within 48 hours, which again was surprising because I know they're facing, you know, this unimaginable workload because I know what it's been like. For me, it's been exponential. So I, you know, can only imagine what they have to deal with on their end. But I did assume that if I, you know, if I had received a call from someone going, hey, I think I've slipped through, I've not been contacted, my status hasn't been updated, no one, no one's done my contact tracing, so no one's, you know, looking into what's happened and also maybe not contacting people who need to be contacted. Mm. I would have assumed that would get scooted to the top of some digital line. Which, which, totally, which, yeah, that sounds so important. It was until given... the 21st. Yeah. Um, and again, yeah. I had to reach out to them again before 
that happened. And there's no way to say that that was definitely what prompted it. It could have just been my time, but I did, you know, I ended up calling them first again and sending an email saying, can someone please just, please contact me because I need my contact tracing done. And just to check. I'm really who worried that through again. Who like, did you send that email to? Um, I emailed, I think it's the public health operations departments, sort of like a all staff email that someone very helpful gave to me, someone who does work for DHHS when I was trying to get a swab done um, earlier. She was like, this email will get sent to everybody if you use this email address. <laughs> she was like, so someone will see it. So if you get stuck... You that. sent, you did the whole all staff email thing. That is like, I, that's the biggest office flaming uh, tactic available. Desperate. Because, you know, you feel. Fucking nice you were. No autonomy. Like, it's, it's really a weird experience to be so utterly powerless and kind of this creeping worry that, oh, God, nothing's going to happen. They're going to forget. You want to get out. You want to get better. You want, you know, I went and got the test done because it was important to me to do it right and be counted and make sure that my movements were tracked so you can, like, track the spread of this horrible thing. Yes, of course. Hey, yes. that's the <laughs> thing that everyone, that's what people do. Yeah. That's what, we, it's what we've been told is supposed to happen. And you're there hounding people, sending mad all-stuff emails to get people to do it. Yes, it? Yeah, it was, a, it was a firm email. <laughs> I may have. So um, my, I went in aggressively with the subject line. I said, five days since positive COVID result with no contact from DHHS. Oh, holy like, someone, someone will open that. Yeah, that's a complaint <laughs> that's email straight up. God, I know. And and so then I just gave a rundown of the timeline. I was like, I've been in quarantine since the 8th. I had a swab taken on the 16th. I got told that day that it's positive. Five days have passed and I've not been contacted by DHHS in any capacity, including no monitoring texts or contact tracing calls. Um, blah, blah, blah. I called the 1300 number to find out what's happened. was told that my case has been updated. I'd receive a call within 48 hours. 48 hours have passed and I've still not been contacted. And I said, I'm hoping someone could please contact me or at least confirm my case has been updated and flag that I've not been contacted yet after five days. I understand the immense workload you are all facing and appreciate the work you're doing, but I'm wary of slipping through the cracks again. And I gave them my mobile number and then I hit them with a kind regards. Oh, <laughs> kind regards. You know what that is? Kind regards is strident, but firm. Yeah. Says, Look, I'm leaving you. I'm okay. Uh, we're all right. We're all right with each other, but keep it up. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, and that, and that got a little bit done. But again, it's ridiculous. That you have to work so hard. And then something that I have noticed, um, I believe the when you call the information hotline, which I think is a 1-800 number for COVID, um, it's quite easy. There's a prompt for if you require a translator that's quite easy to find, and that's really good, um, especially because, you know, it's a crucial information hotline. But I didn't hear any translator prompts on the 1300 number that we've all had to call to get anything done. So I've also been thinking about, you know, fuck, what would I have done if I, you know, one, didn't have the peripheral background knowledge of how this process kind of should work and what sort of the timelines are and what I should expect and that, you know, stuff like I don't get a clearance swab and stuff like that. And then also, you know, 
didn't speak fluent English, maybe, and also wasn't really good at sending really annoying emails. <laughs> yes. So what we had was that a few weeks ago, right about when Daniel Andrews sent Vicpol into uh, lock broken black people into towers, we had this question come up that that um, of course you know for people who for whom English is a second language or for who don't you know migrant communities who don't speak any English at all that they've got these uh, access problems and they talked about that and then your crop of people like Andrew Boltor came out to say that that's the problem with multiculturalism because you know they're paid to say shit like that mm-hmm. um but now so what we've but but yet now here we are and it's about this time last week and you found that that they still haven't um, put any other language options into the that's, the, the... that's what it seems like for this for this action, you know, the actionable phone number. I didn't get any option to, you know, get a translator in order to sort of plead my case or say, hey, can you contact me? What's going on? Which just seems a bit fundamentally fucked and cooked because, you know, we live in this this country where it's already so difficult and demoralising to be, you know to be a person of colour or to not speak English as your first language. You know, it's already so difficult to navigate. And now we have the government and the media sort of spinning it as an issue with migrant communities, not adhering to this and that and not taking on board messaging and deliberately spreading stuff and all of of that shit. And then they're faced with having to navigate this cooked system that's clearly a little bit broken and not quite working without even, you know, really apparent language access and help. I've worked in not-for-profits and I've worked in government in, in previous lives and, and I've, I've seen time after time in different jobs the issues that migrant communities face with translating and interpreting services like TIS and what have you. And yeah. they, these services, they say that these services exist but the way in which they often exist, and this is particularly the case for not-for-profits and, you know, like other community services and what have you, is that, you know, they'll have contracts with the translating interpreting service and, you know, and then you'll have to try and if you work at that organisation, you'll have to try and get the code for this person to be able to access the service through which, you know, say they're not-for-profit or what have you can pay for that that, that, that service later on. And for governments, usually that they've got them on, on speed dial because they've got an existing contract with them. But nevertheless, you know, maybe you or maybe the person in question, you have to try and ascertain what language this person speaks. You have to then call up the translating interpreting service. You then have to book in a time at later on, uh, you know, or live if you're lucky, through which you can set up an appointment, through which you have, a, a you know, an online or maybe a face-to-face interpreter online and Mm -hmm. that's at the best of fucking times but when you are a migrant or person who doesn't speak much english and you've got a hell lung virus it's a little bit hard to jump through all those hoops i'd imagine it is i can it doesn't fucking bear thinking about really it's been popping up in my mind ever since i got out that it's just so fundamentally fucked and unfair and it just must be impossible. You know, it felt impossible for me to get through it as someone who's got a bit of experience navigating bureaucracy and impossible yeah. phone trees and unempathetic goblins. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I just I cannot fucking imagine how hard it is going to be for some people. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and there's, no recourse, you know? there's no recourse. They can't yeah. do anything except get through it. There's no way to give 
feedback, even if there was, I do not believe that it would be actioned. You know, I don't think if I say, oh, I had a bad experience with my coronavirus, I don't think anyone's going to get, like, training or, you know, that's not going to cause a massive overhaul. They're just going to go, we're sorry that you had a bad experience. Piss yeah. off. Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps we need to get, um, uh, you know, uh, translated services that we could release online or flyers, like, you know, in many different languages, pasting in the all-staff email for the department to do, Emma, <laughs> and suggesting that people um, go to Google Translate, translate a message from their language to English going, can you fucking help me? I'm really sick. Yeah, can you just fucking do it, please? <laughs> do you think that might help? Fucking, I don't even know. I know that we're joking, but, like, I can't help but think about it seriously again. I'm just thinking, fucking, what are people going to do? I actually and, think it is a good idea. I, uh, yeah. Um, I, and it's as you said earlier, this only exacerbates the existing problems and thus shines a light on the existing problems that mm-hmm. marginalised communities face. Why are they marginalised in this instance? Well, because there's no easy road for them to get any access for easy assistance. There wasn't even an easy road for you to get it. And you have, as you said before, you've got this ability to be able to speak this language. You know which departments to hound. You know who you might hound. You're able to do the hounding and, you know, in the the right language, I suppose, you're able to send that strident, kind regards. Yeah, yeah, able to come out. It's kind of guns blazing. Yeah. And and it was, it still, yeah, still felt impossible. And it. For me, this has also highlighted the fact that, you know, we have a, a government in place, I think, both federally and at the state level, who refuse to look at how things are actually happening in the real world when they, you know, create policy and programs. Mm. Because, you know, I'm sure if you look at it under the presumption that everything works well, you know, well, your case won't fall through the cracks because it gets automatically, you know, you get automatically alerted when there's a positive case and there's a very clear procedure for you have to call, you have to notify the public health department on the phone. Yeah. That's, you know, very clear from the outset. And then you would give all your correct information. So we're going to contact you correctly. And, and that's, it's just not what, it's just not what fucking happens in practice. Yeah. You know, no one, I haven't heard any reports from anyone saying it was totally smooth and cool and normal. Okay, so you have heard this from others around you as well. Yeah, and from, like, um, people I interacted with during my hotel stay as well um, have shared that, you know, similar stories, similar issues, similar hurdles to get over, and the system isn't designed for you to, not even designed for you to get help when the system isn't working in a way that they've imagined it wouldn't work. Yeah. If, If that makes sense. Yes, it does. I don't know what the fuck they expect people to do when it is just fully not working and when you're having people feeling like their cases are being duplicated, stuff not being reported properly, just not getting contacted, having the wrong information, not having, you know, any idea of your timeline. Nothing's being stuck to. You know, I was there for more than 14 days. So was my housemate. We were both unwell a bit longer, but that's not sort of clear from the outset necessarily that you should be prepared to stay much longer than 14 days. That would be my advice to anyone as well, is do not go into it assuming that you are going to be that 10-day person and then out in three days because, you one, you might be sick longer and, two, you just can't rely on it to happen in a timely fashion. You know, I went insane the final few days waiting to get out 
just staring at my phone being like, please call me, please call me, please call me and tell me I can get out. Yeah. And then I missed one call Saturday evening because I was on the phone with them. I missed a call from a private number and I was like, that was it. Oh, no. I know. And that's my chance done for that day. And I called the line and I was like, look, please, I was like, please, can someone help me out? I've been waiting all day for this call. I've been asymptomatic for over three days. Yes. I was told I would get a call in the morning and I'm pretty sure I've just missed it. Is there a way that you can ask them to call back? Please, please. Like, yeah, all of the all of the please, 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 God. Please help me. <laughs> and, and the answer is just no, you know. And, uh... and they just can't. There's no system in place for them to do that. And that's just so, like... Oh, you know, it's not been designed considering how, what like the lived experience of people will be. Like that, if you're in a place where your mental health isn't great, you know, that would fucking ruin you. What are you going to do? How do you deal with that? I, I like 100%. fully had a cry. It was so mm. distressing. No, oh, yeah, it sounds and like there's it. there's no recourse. And then you, and you call and you, again, speak with someone who either like can't help you and, and does care or can't help you and fucking doesn't give a shit. I can't believe you spent this whole time hounding them. I can't believe you spent the whole time with you having to reach out to them to push them to do the basics of, of, of management of, of coronavirus and, and, and contact tracing and such. It's incredible. Yeah, and I, and I think that that is, has been a common experience. It's just really really strange how do you um what on what date were you finally released was it the day after that final call like you, you got was, a call in- i was I, I got the call again at i think two two something on sunday mm-hmm. and then had to wait for them to call the hotel and let me out and then when i spoke to a very lovely worker at the hotel they mentioned that they you know they've been um what can I say? There had been previously with people being released significant delays potentially between sort of this person getting the call and then the hotel being contacted. Mm. I can't imagine fucking what that would be like, waiting for like three hours for them to call, knowing that you can technically leave, but you're not allowed to actually leave because the hotel hasn't received approval. And oh. then you don't and you don't know that whole time if they're calling, if they've tried to call and it hasn't come through. You don't know if you're going to have to wait till the next day. I was so sure that I wouldn't get my email with my little clearance letter. I was like, I just had to like prepare myself for it to not happen. Yeah, you know? like this is going to go for another day. Like I'm going to be yeah. up tomorrow. I was yeah. like, I can't be too excited until I get this because you just don't. And, you know, it's Sunday afternoon. So. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like a time at which the people, the wheels turn to. Right? Yeah, out of out of all of the days and times, that's when it could just not quite. And, you know, I don't know if they'll do what they did to me. I was like, what if they've called? And haven't gone through to the hotel, and now they're just going to call tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And thankfully they did, but oh my gosh! What did you do when you got out? <laughs> How did you celebrate your freedoms? <laughs> um, I saw my my partner who I love very much and who yes. I terribly. Oh, and you then must have. I saw my parents. I spent the night with my parents. Yep. Because my uh, I went and I got a test that afternoon after I got out and it came back negative, which is great. 
and got that result quite late in the evening. And I yeah. spent the night with my parents because my dad's at risk. And um, we just figured this is maybe, this could be the last time I get to like see and be near my parents for like fuck knows how long because they work in health, I work in health. So we're, we're all, you know, carriers and a bit more at risk and also have like a, a higher, or at least I feel like I have a slightly higher duty of care that I put on myself to sort of not get coronavirus. Of course, you know? yeah. Like, like yeah. I'm more cautious than I necessarily have to be. When we had that brief, like, um, relaxation of restrictions, I was like, mm, I'm still going to be pretty chill. I'm not going to go see people if I can avoid it. And so I went there, got into the house, said hello, washed my hands, had a massive shower and hugged my dad for the first time in months. And it was beautiful and potentially potentially worth the coronavirus just to have that moment of yeah 12 24 hour window of definitely not having it yeah embrace someone you love of course that's beautiful Uh, yeah yeah i'm so happy you got to have that happen and i just you know yeah the 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 demoralizing factor of being in this situation where you know not only are you very sick but you're trying to chase people up you're scared and you can't see anyone it must really really make you miss that little bit of compassion hey oh fucking absolutely i the the difference that it makes for someone to just be compassionate and be kind it's you know unimaginable i made sure to tell the um hotel manager of the final hotel i was at i was like hey you know, I had a bit of a rough time getting here. I cannot stress too much, like, what a difference has made being here with you and, like, feeling like a person and being, you know, interacting with someone kind. I was like, it's massive. Okay, so because the staff at the second hotel were that little bit more, I suppose, you know, humane and they were kind to you. Just really great. Just spectacular. That's amazing. That's what you would need because you're certainly not going to be able to get it physically, are you? So if anyone could just show a bit of concern. Um, yeah, that's just amazing. a bit of madness, a bit of willingness to spend two more seconds with you, like on the phone or whatever. You know, <laughs> I'm 100%. fighting you at all times for like, and how are you going? And talk to me, please, God, talk to me. Yeah, and I suppose it's also really good when you know DHHS people tell you that you know you're not updated in the system. That that also must have been a big morale boost. Hey? Oh yeah, and you and know, like, computer says no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, I'm calling on that Saturday. I mean, like, look, I was told I get a call in the morning can you like let me know what's going on and I was just told no you'll have to wait and I was like sick like okay fine you know Mm. and then someone I spoke to the next day and this really highlights the difference it can make she was like look I can't do anything you know I can't put you through but I can check that you're marked as ready to go she did a symptom check which didn't yeah she didn't have to do she's like look I've put in here that you are asymptomatic and you are keen to get out and I hope that they call you really soon. Mm. And, you know, it took that, those 10 seconds to just be nice and treat me like a person. Just nice and humane, yeah. And if I could have, you know, Astral projected into her office and given her a hug, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> just nice to be treated like a human. Um, how are you feeling now? I feel really good. I'm a bit tired. I think I've got a little bit of post-viral fatigue, but just a bit of, like, fucking mental exhaustion. Yep. Oh my, you know, it sucked the fucking soul right out of me having to deal with all of that. Yep. But I'm really excited to get back to work, actually. I 
it's going to feel good to do some to feel like I'm doing something that has meaning after spending, you know, a fortnight feeling like I'm fully at the mercy of these bureaucrats and have no no agency and no ability to do anything for myself. That's amazing. So I'm really excited. That's amazing. Do yeah. things. Surely the the government can can bring about and staff a dedicated line for people who have coronavirus. You know, a hotline and it's not bridged, it's not lumped in with all of the people making inquiries about coronavirus and what have you. It's a dedicated hotline. You supply some sort of a case number and you're therefore confirmed. It's only for the people who already have it, which is not, uh, you know, it's into the, yeah. the active cases and not into the squillion. So it should be more manageable and a dedicated team. Surely that would be a... A dedicated for- team, a case management team, I think would be a really interesting step so currently it's split into you sort of have uh, a clearance team I think and then there's like an active cases team and then there's like a monitoring people in quarantine team for me I think I agree it would make more sense if you were I know that we do all have case numbers I wonder if it wouldn't work better if you are, you know, working in that office and you are assigned cases and you look yeah. after this person for their whole journey, not only because that would be smoother and I think maybe would fix this problem where if your status changes, it looks like there's a real propensity to kind of fall through for a little bit. Yes. I think for yeah. someone who's unwell and facing all of this instability and uncertainty, getting a phone call from the same person each day would probably yeah. be really helpful and make you feel a little bit more at ease in the world. But even more than that, you know, they they need a dedicated hotline for the people working at these hotels. I couldn't believe it when I found out that they just don't. So if you're working, if you're like a receptionist or a concierge or a hotel manager at one of these quarantine hotels, Mm. from what I understand, you don't have a phone number to call. Incredible. I mean, they they basically task them with the responsibility of... They've tasked yeah. them with the responsibility of taking care of a bunch of people with coronavirus and they've got no actual way to access assistance. It's incredible. It seems like, yeah, there's no direct purpose-built phone line for, you know, you're this person. You know, no one to call if someone in your hotel is sick. I don't know what they would do if someone, like, kind of left early other than, you know, I guess calling the police and then, again, just waiting on the line to this regular phone line, which... You know, you can be on hold for an hour and a half, I think, was the longest that I was on hold. Mm, yeah. And then you have to, you know, speak to the right person and make sure that you can make sure that they've kind of heard what you're saying as well. Because if they hang up on you, all you can do is call back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I suppose finally they might also want to staff some of these hotlines with some of the with, with uh, people from some of the other major language-speaking groups in Victoria and Australia so that, um, you know, coronavirus assistance, as difficult as it is to access, is not just for the English speaking, right? Yeah. And I, I would love to be corrected. You know, I would love for this to go out and someone to say, actually, I know that there are translators on that line and you can, you know, that would be fantastic. I would yeah, I, I, I haven't heard of that. I did have a brief look before the conversation, but it, I also would love to be proven wrong. So that would be yeah. really good. But, um, you know, in my experience with most government agencies is anything like how it has been, then um, it's probably through the translating yeah. and interpreting service, which is just and even if it is not good there, enough. Even if it is there, it needs to be more apparent, you know, that should, it should be in one of the main... You know, the first little phone tree you should have, if you need a translator, press one. 
Any advice for people who actually get coronavirus? I mean, was there anything whilst you were in that interminable hotel stay that helped you? Um, that you did? I brought a couple of different things. So I brought a book and a laptop and I brought changes of clothes. I think it could be tempting to like just bring pyjamas or whatever. Yeah. But you're trying to maintain a routine. There's something to be said for, you know, having clean clothes, different clothes to wear. It just makes you feel a bit more human. Yeah. Um, but then some, I don't know, some other advice would be I got some very good um, advice from a paramedic who came out to help me. Yeah. And said that, you know, they hold patient concerns in really high regard. So my, like, if I, my advice to someone who's unwell and not sure what's going on is, like, don't fucking worry about being annoying and don't worry about calling and being wrong and not being ill. You know, I was so sure that they would come out and check on me and I would be fine and I would have felt like the biggest inconvenience and time waster. Yeah. But, um, you know, they didn't. And, it, and it's, not, it's not worth it to risk your health because you're worried about being an inconvenience. And unfortunately, you're kind of, at this point, trying to navigate a system that does make you feel like a bit of an inconvenience. Yeah, yeah. But you just gotta, you gotta, just got to go fuck that. If you feel unwell, call. If you're not happy with, you know, if you don't feel like someone's paying attention to your case, just call. If, you're, if you don't get a call about a test coming out, don't assume that it will happen the next day. You know, call. You just have to be relentless, be really annoying and not give up <laughs> channel the for channel the the power of the karen for good oh, you know for yeah, Hell yeah, yeah. subject lines and i want to speak to this person and i you know no I, that's not acceptable to me i want to speak to someone about this i want the manager <laughs> if <laughs> um Sophia, finally, I, I sent you a message um, on about the 17th of July and I said, please don't be sick. And do, do you, you know, <laughs> how, how does that, that must have had a really profound um, morale boosting effect on you. Forgive me, but I would say too little, too late. You know, where were you, where were you on the 7th? <laughs> I might have known then I would have sent a message saying, please don't be sick then. You know, maybe you could have avoided coronavirus altogether. Stop licking the pavement, Sophia. Where were you when I needed you most? I know, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, the next person I hear who has the symptoms of coronavirus, I will send them a message saying, please don't be sick yeah. immediately, just as a, a preventative strategy almost. Yeah, yeah, it's come to my attention. You have a bit of a, bit of a sniffle. Have you considered not? Sophia, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and... Um, I, 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 you know, I hope you remain symptom free. Uh, you know, hopefully the, the, the lungs repair and I hope that you can soon smell Nescafe Blend 43. Oh, one day. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Pork and Feed the Birds. I'm your host, I'm Tom Tanneke. See you next fortnight. I hope you're okay with the new Monday releases. I thought to myself, some of the podcasts that I enjoy tend to come out at the beginning of the week before you have to go into another interminable period of working, working from home, as the case may be if you're in Victoria. So I hope you enjoy that. If you have feedback about that, requests for what you want to hear from me in the podcast or anything, I would absolutely love it if you would reach out to me. 
Being as I am someone who for several years has done a lot of stuff online, I quite enjoy the the comparatively feedback-free and murky nature of this podcast. It's got a little a growing audience, but it, it's nice. It's really just me working on and trying to perfect the formula as I go along. But, you know, it follows that I don't hear so much from you about it. But I would really, really love to, because if you have suggestions or requests, then that, that that's something I absolutely do listen to. So please get in touch with me. Please also leave a review if you've got the spare time. Um, you can do that through Apple Podcast Reviews um, or through your favourite podcast uh, uh, app if they allow for it. But I would really appreciate that because that'll smash me up in the algorithms. Um, and also, finally, um, if you have a spare clam or two to chuck my way... Uh, then I would really, really appreciate it. I spend a lot of time on doing video. I do a lot of time on podcast. Um, I write articles. I do online things. I do a fuck ton of stuff. And um, all of the stuff I speak on the podcast, I speak about on the podcast is way more important than you supporting me. But if after supporting those courses, then you still have a spare claim or two, then I would really love that. Um, hope you enjoyed. See you next fortnight.